Well, we're right in the coast, and particularly being the harbour itself, we got a lot of cargo vessels coming in. So we import a lot of timber, a lot of steel, a lot of grain. So pretty much it's your entry from the Irish Sea into the into down. Into Ireland, yeah. Uh, my name is Mark. I work in the accounts team, the admin team in the harbour here. Warm Point. It's a small town, it's a nice place, right by the sea. It sort of is everything you need. And then Nuri up the road is the small city, but as Phil Lyon had said, it's where the mountains of Mourne come down to the sea. But I see Warren Point is the entryway into down in that it's the first port of call for a lot of ships coming this end of the country onto the east coast. A lot of ships coming this way, we've got ferries, we had container boats, we have a lot of steel and stuff, and they'll come just directly into Warren Point. So in terms of a logistical point of view, especially coming up into the lock, you come straight into County Down. Granite and sea. The coastline of County Down is a wonder, all 364 kilometres of it. From different points you can see Louth and from the Isle of Man, Scotland. Stretch the mind and you can see to Norway, Denmark, the Viking longboats landing here, the first footings of the young Patrick with his Christian vision, the de Courcy's Normans unloading goods and gear of conquest, the sea carrying away poor and dispossessed rebels of many creeds. The American Revolution has roots here. You're listening to The County Measure. I'm Vincent Woods. We're making a journey around Ireland 100 years after independence and partition to get a measure, to get many measures of all 32 counties. We're looking at place, landscape and the people who shape their lives within these boundaries of community and county. In this series, I'm hoping to get a fresh understanding of each county and its people as we shape a radio atlas of Ireland. Standing near the sea at Warren Point, a tide of connections sweeps the mind. Bloody conflict, not all in distant history. But on a sunny spring morning, this tidy port town belongs to strollers and joggers, families and children enjoying the seafront. I sit down to chat to a man who salutes me from a bench overlooking the water, and Francie Mackin unfolds memories and stories of downfall celebration. Uh, Francis, when we, we started talking, we're looking across at Romit. Right. You're looking straight across at Romit, is correct, right? You are indeed. Many a time I would have over on the wee boats that used to sail here from, from Warren Point, just there, just above you there, would have sailed across. And it was sometimes a bit of a refuge on the Sabbath, it? was it? a refuge on a, on a Sunday when the pubs were not allowed open here and they would have been allowed open in the south. And the amount of people that would have went over, they would have came from the length and breadth of Ulster to, just to get over to, and it was very, very handy to get over. The, the, quench the thirst. To quench the thirst, exactly. <laughs> An important <laughs> thing. Oh, very, very important, very important. And Francis, you would have a big interest in GAA. Oh, uh, I'm very fond of GAA. I'm a staunch GAA person, definitely. And you were privileged to be in Crow Park when Down won the first All-Ireland. I was, I've had the privilege of watching Down win their five All-Irelands, but I also I did watch them in 1960 and in 61. 
we were very privileged to get tickets to go to it. When Croke Park had their biggest crowd ever, it was 98,000 people in Croke Park at the one time. They were sitting on walls, they were sitting anywhere. So they were. It was, they played awfully, and then they played Kerry. And that was and, then the first time the Sam Maguire came across, back first, across first, the border? First time the Sam Maguire ever came across the border. And Must have been uh, fantastic. And the manager actually came from Warren Point, so he did. A man called Barney Carr. Uh, and you must have been shockingly young. Uh, well, I, was, <laughs> I wasn't awful old, but I still I was 10 or 11 at the time. Yeah. But still, those things stay in your mind forever. And that to me is, is just something that I'll, I'll never forget. Francis, lovely to Not talk to you. Fl- pleasure, yeah, yeah. pleasure. Pleasure. Yeah. Well, enjoy the diamonds, for you, and you really will. We will, the, we the, will. The food in is very, very good. Yeah, so it's kind of strange. Last August, I was over there. Now, here in, on Hill Street in, in Uri, looking at it, a very fine and striking bronze sculpture, uh, Proud People, uh, bronze relief sculpture by Paddy McElroy, celebrating 850 years of Newry. It's 1144 to 1994. It's wonderful. And we're on our way to the University of the Third Age here on, on Hill Street to, to meet people who've come together to a university that actually doesn't focus on qualifications, but more on celebrating that that sense of a third age in life when we might actually have the time to study at our leisure. This was a, a throw that belonged to my daughter who died and I'm edging it with green velvet to prolong its life and to give it a bit more strength. And it's very special to me and I'm making a complete balls of the sewing. <laughs> but uh, as, as long as it holds together, that's all I want. Marcella McBride is one of 400 mostly retired people attending this year's U3A, Newry's University of the Third Age. Its campus is the old Abbey Grammar School in the town. On the day I arrived, the U3A is offering classes on everything from German to bridge and crafts. It's peer-led, with everyone sharing their skills developed over a lifetime. There's a palpable energy in the place, a real sense of shared learning and infectious enjoyment. Some members run their own classes, like this sewing class, led by Rosaline Moore. We're called Make Do and Mend, and the whole idea is we're, a lot of us are charity shop aficionados, so we try not to buy new. So we, we, what we do, we repurpose, reimagine. All this is all um, repurpose, reimagine material. Look at this absolutely exquisite patchwork quilt. There's a blaze of colour and pattern, and prominent in there is this motif of fish. I have a cottage on Aranmore Island, this was found up in the attic of the island house and it was flimsy and threadbare, so I did a few wee patches on it, just like here and there. The fishing industry, obviously, in Ironmore Island is on its knees because of EU policy. 
nonetheless. It's a little bit of a political statement. <laughs> well, I had to throw that in. My name is Mary. Um, I'm all the way from Dundalk. I have a passion, and it's called dance, ballroom dancing, and um, I'm into swing dance as well, or Lindy swing. It's That's a great. good way to spend the time. Yeah. It is. Well, like, you can get hold of a man every now and then. That's, that's the most important thing in your life. And then, and then, you see, you can dress up and you can show a bit of leg and show a bit of everything you want. The yeah. body is beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And outside of that, coming to U3A, it's a wonderful outlet to meet other people with, I suppose, the same interest and also to learn. And is there a sense of in that, doing that communal work? I mean, do you, do you all feel re-empowered in a sense you know do you get an energy from the others oh yes well we're all pretty powerful women anyway but uh, <laughs> we've now brought our machines with us <laughs> I'd love to be able to hear the crack that goes on when we're not recording in another part of the building I just catch the star of the county down performed by the Gentlemen Singers, a choir led by Jinan Marner. We're going to Newry Fish in April. There's two competitions. One competition we're going in for has we don't have any competition. We're in for the male voice choir, and we're the only one there. My wife died of motor neuron, so I was in despair. Get up in the morning, down to the club, a few pints, go home, have something to eat, back down again. Clubs, pubs. When I went through youth a year. I hadn't time to go to the pubs. <laughs> <laughs> I had to cut down. <laughs> I had to cut down. <laughs> it takes the people out. Music is one of the things that keeps the keeps the keeps the thing going, isn't it? You know? So keeps us. We yeah. love the we love singing. And of course, you know, song and music stays stays in the head, stays in the mind. Yeah. was Licks and Lard. That's what they were roared on, by the way, Licks and Lard. And the Bestbrook, where I was from, was Bestbrook Jam Bread. So we got jam and bread, and they got Licks and Lard. Elsewhere, a group sits in a big circle around a room and practices their party pieces. This is led by Mary Cunningham and has been going for ten years. Coming together means so much because there can be such loneliness in people getting out, meeting each other, laughing and sharing our talents really does energise us. There's some nights, you know, particularly in the winter, when I say, oh God, I don't want to go out of the house tonight and I might be in bad form. But when I come down here, I'm re-energised and my wife doesn't recognise me when I get home <laughs> because I'm, I'm so full of joy. It was supposed to be a bit of a challenge for you all in it as well to have a new piece yes. fairly regularly. Yes. To keep you on your toes as well. <laughs> That's good. Right. Yes. <laughs> good thing. And, and uh, Phyllis there ha- has been coming right from the beginning. But I was thinking, Phyllis, you might give us a song. 
I need a wee vodka and tonic to tell you the truth. I'll try this anyway. Love's a baby that grows up wild and he won't do what you want. I'm 85 years of age on Saturday and the older you get, the more courage you get. Like when I was young, I was quite a shy person, actually. (laughs) Most, Most people don't... No, no, most people don't believe it, but honestly, I was. But then you get all yourself, well, sure, what of it? One man treats me like I was mud, and all I have that man can get. The man, the person in this group who has the best memory of all of us, uh, Joseph Alphonsus Morgan, for a poem. I'm in my 96th year. This August, I'll be 96. I'm hoping to hang in there to get my 2,000 euros from Michael D. Higgins. <laughs> uh, I would like to do uh, Patrick Cabinet's memory of his mother. I do not think of you lying under the wet clay in a monocon graveyard. I see you walking down the lane among the... Well, I remember a lot of Patrick Cabernet's poems, but that one in particular reminds me of my own mother and my granny, and uh, I've made it more or less my party piece. Among your earthiest words, the angels dream. You have only heard and seen the half. <laughs> oh, I doubt even that. <laughs> only a fraction. <laughs> only a fraction. lovely rolling green hills as we approach Don Patrick and it's quite Drumlin like familiar to me uh, the landscape and tidy farms farmhouses and it would be my first time to see the landscape so closely associated with St. Patrick and I very much look forward to that. Cross back to the path. Near Dan Patrick is the lovely and evocative landscape of Saul, and towering over that land is a huge statue of St. Patrick placed on the highest hill so you can't miss him, patron saint of fields and sea. This is like a very gentle pastoral version of Kilpatrick. Just leave Patrick here. Stations of the Cross on the way. Up the Drumlin Hill. Gosh, they threw everything in Bernadette is there too. This Patrick and everything surrounding him feels very Catholic. 
the general impression more of power rather than inclusion. And the name Patrick Indown is inclusive. Think of Patrick Bronte or Pronte, father of the brilliant Yorkshire literary sisters, born to a poor Anglican family near Rathfryland on St. Patrick's Day, 1777. They made it up to near Padraig. Pretty enormous statue, erected in 1932, looking back at the sun setting over his landscape. And then, away from him, Strangford and the water. He's rather splendid up on the top of the Whinny Rock. All the lovely yellow gorse and whin at his feet. You don't generally associate our patron saint with the cult of relics, cures or holy bones. But I get a glimpse of older ways in Down County Museum, where collections assistant Bridget Malloy shows us a shrine containing a silver reliquary or display box which traditionally holds a rare relic, said to be the jawbone of St. Patrick. Bridget, we're looking at this quite remarkable shrine, which we're told is the silver shrine of St. Patrick's jaw. Mm -hmm. So it is just the shrine box that we have. It's on loan um, from the Diocese of Down and Connor at the minute, and they are still in possession of their actual jawbone that's believed to be St. Patrick's. Um, And it was in the possession of the one family for hundreds of years, um, I believe. There is a good chance that it could actually be the jawbone of St. Patrick. One would imagine if it was ever used uh, in prayer or hope that it might be in relation to the gift of speech, if you think of it, of our song related (laughs) to jawbone. Um, (laughs) But actually the uh, legend in the family goes that if you immerse the jaw in water, that it could help people afflicted with epilepsy and also as an antidote for all illnesses for cattle or cows. And then after the service, they do a pilgrimage walk to here. I visit St. Patrick's Church of Ireland Cathedral in Down Patrick to see the large stone marking the site of his burial. I get all excited. St. Patrick's Day. Sharon McVeigh is secretary of the cathedral, and it's thanks to her that we're introduced to a man very familiar with Patrick's story and with his resting place. Would have welcomed. Yes. You know, are you awake? Don't go anywhere. You could tell these guys some history. Clive's <laughs> a parishioner here and also Vincent. a volunteer. Vincent. Vincent Woods and we're making a program about County Down. This man has oh, about about County Well, <laughs> he got a couple of months. <laughs> I wish oh, we had. And he's laughing. I wish we had. I wish we had. I know. Clive Schooler is a writer and historian and a parishioner. At the cathedral. Well, I think a lot of people, when they come to Ireland, especially to this part of Ireland, the first word that comes into their head is St. Patrick. And they know if they're in County Down, they're not far from St. Patrick. And when you're in Ireland, you're not far from St. Patrick. I call this the focal point. Think of St. Patrick when you're standing here. This stone was put here about 120 years ago. And it's got Patrick's name on it. And I love that Patrick encompasses... The various traditions. Yes. So this is a Church of Ireland. It is, it is, it is. You also get St. Patrick in Catholic churches, in Catholic cathedrals. Yes. He's our patron saint. It doesn't matter who you are. And I tell you, when he returned here in 432 in his mid-40s, 
the last 29 years of his life, he covered 90% of the island of Ireland in the 5th century. Every time I say that, I cannot believe it. Ireland, 80% covered in trees, full of warring tribes, and all he's saying is, whoa, I'm only bringing the Christian message here. Let me get on with it. And he did. It is all remarkable. Um, Clive, thank you for sharing so much with us. That's right. ground of Downpatrick we move to new ground being forged in Belfast. In a small Church of Ireland church hall in East Belfast, part of the city that is officially in Down. A unique theatre group is rehearsing a new play which links Tudor history to the unfolding multicultural story of this wider region. Fijiro Amasiobi and Sam Claridge are playing musician John Blank and King Henry VIII in a play by Terranova Productions called The Trumpet and the King. They're rehearsing for a tour which will bring them to a number of venues in County Down. The friendship between the infamous monarch and the little-known black musician is exactly the type of ground Terra Nova's founder, Andrea Montgomery, and trainee creative producer, Remy Shore, like to unearth. Now imagine, if you will, that you are in Europe at the end of the Middle Ages and Islam has held sway in Spain for seven centuries. In distant rainy land called England, the Wars of the Roses have been brought to a bloody end, and the first Tudor reigns triumphant. Ferdinand of Aragon and Isabella of Castile have fought for decades to reconquer Spain for Christianity. And in 1492, I handed the keys to the city of my birth, Granada. Andrea, tell me a little bit first of all about Terra Nova Productions. Terra Nova is uh, Northern Ireland's intercultural theatre company. We tend to work in three main areas. So we do professional productions, touring or or sort of um, set in place. We also do a lot of development work with emerging artists, particularly people from the global majority or who are uh, immigrants. And then we also run community programs, intercultural community programs as well. But we also develop new work that is trying to showcase intercultural stories. Uh, Right now, what we're working on is a piece called The Trumpet and the King. And it is the story of our first known, named and pictured black artist in Britain. His name was John Blank. Remy Shore, tell me a little bit about, about your background and your involvement in, in this production. I came on board with Terra Nova in 2018 in Midsummer Night's Dream, which was hugely enjoyable, and, and that was it for me. I had such a great time on that production. I sort of got familiar what the intercultural spirit of the organisation was. Now, in terms of Trumpet and the King, I am the trainee creative producer. And you have a, a long and deep association with County Down. <laughs> I certainly do, yeah, proudly as well. Um, on my maternal side, we're all Fitzsimons, which is actually a Norman name. And of course, County Down is synonymous with uh, Norman settlements, you know, like Strangford, and so we've got a lot of relatives around there. And so I moved from Manchester as an infant. Um, my mum studied there, and I grew up in County Down all the way up until the age of 17, where I decided it was too small and went back to England for a stint. Have you observed many changes in the county in in the last, we'd say, 10, 15 years? Hugely, yeah. 
me, my brother and sister were the only people of color in the area. You know, a lot of the locals used to joke that we were the only colored folk in a 300 mile radius. When I went over to England, being in amongst the diversity of the place was great. And I found a lot of confidence in it. Walking down the street and there were so many of these people of, you know, Asian backgrounds, there was black people, people of mixed ethnicities. Then when I came back, all of a sudden I would be in Belfast and even throughout County Down and there was these younger mixed race families and migrants who were here and it was almost like in that little five-year gap of absence I'd came back and the country was more of an intercultural place at that point so yeah massively different and I think the local attitude towards difference I would dare say improved for sure. So yeah, I'm quite proud of the developments that have been made in that time period. I think the thing is that, you know, if you're working in Northern Ireland theatre, you realise that it can often be the stories of two tribes. It's not, it's not on purpose, it's just that is the narrative. So really what Terra Nova has tried to do is to bring in that third perspective. And I'm thinking, my, I'm throwing my mind back to a show I did in 2012, which was called the Ulster Kama Sutra. And that was a kind of collision of ancient Hindu philosophy and um, the kind of the attitudes to sexuality in Northern Ireland. So, you know, even that, they, I have not been run out of town, tarred and feathered on a rail. So we're quite lucky. I love the idea of the Ulster Kama Sutra. <laughs> I love it too, I must admit. <laughs> Sands, and I come from the county down. I suppose to try to measure your own county, it's a little bit like trying to look at your own eye. It's very difficult to see your own eye, except with a mirror or something like that. But without your own eye, you can see very little. And without your own home county, there's no place to come back to. That's why I'm glad to be back here in the county down. How can you measure a county that lives where you call home? How can you treasure a mountain where you never feel alone? She said I can cherish your stories and dreams of yesterday But would it be wrong to sing me a song of county down today? Down today to me and you and up to us to make it true Down today to me and you and up to us to make our dreams come true Down today to me and you and up to us 
to make it true Turn today to me and you And up to us to make our dreams come true The border is out through the window On the coolies we can gaze Coolholony hurled on that hillside Where the cattle gently graze And up in the mountains of morn here The talk of the scud can be heard Calling for reels if we're brought to these fields How now those tunes are shared And it's down today to me and you And up to us to make it true Down today to me and you And up to us to make our dreams come true From Banbridge Town we ramble round To Rathryland on the hill Where the Bronte clan they first began Painting pictures with a quill From Helltown to Rust River Fields Where Narnia was inspired We watched them pray and train today To win the sunlit choir And it's time today The wonders of the down coastline carry you northwards. It's a bright morning on a sandy beach outside Bangor with a view across to the Antrim coast at Whitehead. A group of people carrying blue and yellow rubbish bags and litter pickers are slowly walking, heads bent, intent on their work. Among them, Bangor's mayor, Councillor Karen Douglas. You're very welcome to Ballyhome Beach, which is uh, on the periphery of Bangor City in the county of the Down. The tide's out today, sky is blue and it's just absolute heaven. Uh, we tend to get a lot of sea swimmers here and people who uh, yacht and uh, kite surf, whatever. Um, Where are we looking across to? We're looking across to Whitehead. So we're looking across to Antrim. You can see bits of Scotland, 
in the distance. Ah, that's the that's the shape of Scotland. So we're sort of right is, on the edge. Yeah. We're right on the edge of the lock here. So Leslie Crawshaw runs the Ards and North Down Beach Cleaners Group, an impressive community initiative with a spirit of doing and action at its centre. I joined them to discover what brings them out to clean their beaches, and what they find. So there's a lot of uh, food packaging, dog poo bags, tissue paper, a lot of cigarette butts. Uh, wet wipes, um, sanitary products. There's some dog bowls, a bit battered looking, and then some plastics, a lighter, you know, cigarette lighter. Um, Do you think there's a cumulative effect from your work that people maybe notice what you're doing, become a little bit more aware Have you noticed any reduction in the amount of stuff being dumped? Yes, I think, well, people's attitudes, I think, has changed a bit because maybe sort of 18 months or so ago we'd have got more people saying to us, well, you know, sort of council should be doing that, what are you doing? But our message to people is, you know, sort of your your letter, your responsibility. So we're seeing that more and more that um, there's less of that criticism and more that people are coming around to that way of thinking. something yeah see ah plastic i think so these are bb gun pellets Mm -hmm. bb gun pellets they're toys they sort of shoot out of a gun i wouldn't have spotted that at all kids are playing with them ah of course but we find lots of small stuff that's really minute yes you're looking out for anything that doesn't belong so often it's color Often it's colour. Yeah, like that's blue. Yeah, so the blue, you you know that shouldn't be there. It shouldn't be there, yeah. And you just get an eye in. Yeah, a red. I don't know what that is. Just looking for something that doesn't... I mean, it gets harder and harder once it gets cleaner and cleaner. I I think I can't walk past uh, rubbish now without picking it up. I think, you know, you see... Your eyes get trained to see in rubbish, I think, you know, and you do. You, you, you just find it hard, no matter where you go, whether it's on a beach or in a woo, you know, out walking, I'm out walking the dogs all the time, every day, you know, so I find, you know, I am pick up a little bit every day. And it just, it just, um, yeah, it's very therapeutic, actually, yeah. I, know, I, I tend to go around with a bag in my pocket and yeah. <laughs> feel it as I go. Good, and good there's always you, plenty, yeah. plenty to feel, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. We've got a really long coastline in ours and North Down. It's about 115 miles because we've got Strangford Lock as well. But, I mean, that's quite a difficult one to, to tackle because of, because of the wintering birds and all the Brent geese that are there and at this time of year. Then you can't go near it because you don't want to disturb them. We need to look after it, you know, it's our planet. We can't keep constantly blaming other people, you know, and, and saying, oh, that's so-and-so's responsibility, that's not mine. It's everybody's responsibility. You know, we've all got to muck in and make a difference, really. I don't want my rate spent doing that because there's more important things yeah. to be spending money yeah. on than yeah. cleaning up after people who could actually clean up after themselves quite easily. Yeah. Oh, my Ireland of dreams, you are with me, it seems, and 
the past is remembered or what is deliberately written out of history is a potent theme anywhere no less so in this county of so much conflicted history my name's Jane Robbie and we're in Betsy Gray's cafe people do ask about her people don't know an awful lot about her and I try my best to tell them you know she's from across the road her boyfriend, he's from the cotton, just down the road. And then I sell them the book and they can read, read more on it. The Betsy Gray Cafe in the cotton area near Bangor is named after a young local woman who fought in the 1798 rebellion of North Down and the Ards Peninsula. The cafe sells the novel Remembering Betsy Gray by John Dowds. I meet the author with local man Fred Warden and historian Leanne Briggs at a ruined cottage, eloquent image to a not-forgotten story and people. Fred, we're here at what was Betsy Gray's cottage. Still farmland, as we can hear. Uh, no, it, it largely won't have changed. I think very much since the time Betsy was here, uh, the fields would lie probably very much similar to what they were at the time. The field boundaries are also likely to be to be the same. Leanne, tell us who was Betsy Gray. Betsy Gray relates to the 1798 rebellion. It was inspired by the French men American revolutions, and there was a, a number of Irish people who had this dream to have a, a more equal society almost. So it wasn't Catholic, Protestant, it wasn't rich or poor, it was about everyone joining together to try and make this better society, they felt. It happened across Ireland, but in this particular area, a lot of those people were from the Ards and North Down area, and they went and fought at Sainfield and Balmahinch. And Betsy Gray was one of the local women from here in Sixfordown, sort of cotton area in Bangor. She was a, a, a young girl in her 20s with her brother who lived in the house here. Like anybody, they were caught up in, in the moment of this idea, and they decided they would go to the battle. Betsy then stood in to try and protect the family and she put her hand apparently up towards the forces and said stop and they chopped her hand off and then they shot her in the head. Horrible really. It becomes more gruesome because the thing is they stripped her body, apparently they dragged her through and that's where the legend came from. John Daz, you've written a book about Betsy Gray. How did you hear her story? I came across a story about Betsy Gray and her brother and uh, Billy Bowl. Uh, fleeing from Balna Hinch. Betsy was some way ahead of them and the two boys were uh, captured by the soldiers. Betsy heard them being captured. Now I thought Betsy had various options. She could have stayed where she was, she could have run on home, but she didn't. She ran straight back to try and save her brother and her lover. And it was that act uh, of love uh, that really struck a chord with me. And I wanted to find out more, well, who is this Betsy Gray? Why was she there? Why were all these young kids at Balna Hinch fighting against a, what was one of the best armies in the world? And why were they there? That's how I became involved in it. And had you heard much of this history at all in school or official history? 
I had never heard about uh, Betsy Gray. I'm a Presbyterian myself. As far as I was aware, United Irishmen was a popish plot, and it wasn't until I started to delve into it and I discovered that here in County Down uh, and in County Antrim, uh, the vast majority of the uh, people in United Irishmen were Presbyterians. We were classified as dissenters and we were discriminated against along with Roman Catholics, uh, Presbyterians, Quakers and Jews. And we were, we were really second class citizens and the United Irishmen wanted to change this and they also wanted the political reform and they wanted legislative independence. And we have to remember that the people that they were fighting against were Irish. It wasn't as if there was this all 5,000 Englishmen come over here to fight. It, we, it was Irish against Irish in the main. It's just talking about it and going back and then delving into our own history and uh, trying to gain an understanding of that. The kitchen would have been at the far wall there and that's where the open fireplace was with the machine that swings back and forward with the griddle on it. The green crook. I remember it being there 30 years ago, but... Yeah, you'd hang all the pots. Yeah. It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah metal that, that swung yeah, out. Yeah, the proper range. Yeah. yeah, it's gone missing. Over an open fire. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that would have been the family living quarters. And then out the back was a tiny wee cottage garden, uh, which we think still has the... Uh, Snowdrops that maybe grew 200 years ago. They're, they've sort of gone wild now because they are wild, wild species. It's one of the first flowers that bees would forage on in the spring when they first come. It's the first one they can get out that has nectar and pollen. And we always say when we see the bees and snowdrops, they taste the spring. I think that there must be descendants of when Betsy lived here, absolutely must be, because they would, you know, they wouldn't be here, I don't think, otherwise. Well, I can imagine she's an 18-year-old girl going to her church, working on the farm, planting a few bulbs, watching them grow up, gathering them, and the battle starts in June, so she would have been, it would have been a warm, sunny day, blue skies. These would have died off, but she would have been looking forward to seeing them next year, and then the next year, and then she never did. You're listening to The County Measure, and we're in County Down. Travelling south from Bangor down the Ards Peninsula is a joy. The sea again, and Strangford Loch, memories of Sam Hannibal and his great novel December Bride. Small, austere chapels, rugged stone walls and rolling hills here and there. The ferry at Portaferry crosses to Strangford. Looking at Strangford, you're struck again at, at what a beautiful little town it is. Harbour, very fine houses built up into the hill, 18th century, 19th century houses. Reminds me a little bit of a smaller version of Holt in, in County Dublin, so close to Don Patrick as well. That you, Again, it's, it's part of this very ancient landscape. I suppose I better get back to the car for docking. The fishing port of Kilkeel 
is elusive, with misleading signs and roundabouts sending you around the town and back. Lad, sorry, I wonder, do you know where the harbour is? But it's worth every detour. Right here, hang a right. Uh-huh. Follow the street on round, you'll come to a roundabout. Yeah. Take a right at the roundabout. Right at Follow the roundabout. Road, it'll, it'll take you down. Brilliant. So, right here, yeah. roundabout, and all right. Fantastic. Thanks a million. Yeah, Great. You finally hit the harbour with its thrum of industry. Boats being repaired and painted, nets unwound, the comings and goings of fishing life. The benches and beaches of Down yield rich conversations. The art of talk is alive and well here. Tucking into some excellent haddock and chips from the harbour's food stall, we fall into conversation with a bright and lively woman, Geraldine Quinn, who has just finished a day's shift in a nearby fish factory. I started when I was 16 years of age down in, well, it was Kilkeed Fishing Company. I started in 1975. Well, we used to hand-shell big prawns to start with, and then... Uh, now it's all machinery work. You saw your fill of prawns? Yeah, working with three different generations in a few different families. Mary Forsyth, then she died. Worked with her daughter Linda, she died. And then I worked a while with her son, Daniel. Great. Yeah. There's Great. not many you can say that now, so there's no. Not. We used to handshell big prawns sitting at that table. And there's one of my neighbours in my park. He died four years ago in November, and I didn't know this until he died. His sister was up at the wake. She says, Geraldine, are you still in the factory? And I says, I am. She says, it was the whole talk you were unbeatable. Nobody could have beat me at the handshell. I says, I never had tell that in my life before. We used to get £10 of prawns in a box. We white boxes and we shelled them. Then we took them up and weighed them, and that's the way we got paid. And I said at the time, girl, I worked in one of the fish factories one time. Oh, why, Geraldine, that's right. She says, that was the talk everywhere. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to get a big plaque or a big OBE for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you get great admiration from us for ah, doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. you're a nice people. <laughs> and, and you know what? That's me to Monday morning. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. We do four-day a week in there, and then there's a night shift starting. Now from half four to about two or half two. I wouldn't like that. We start at six in the morning. Six in the morning to four o'clock. But then, that's us finishing Thursday. You'll not get nowhere else. Finishing Thursday to Monday morning. And Geraldine, do you know what it says on the bench here? The sign says, chatty bench, stay connected. Sit here if you're happy to chat with passers-by. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Isn't that strange? <laughs> I'm going to let you go and give you peace. Oh, no, it's lovely yeah. to talk to him. Nice to meet you. These are nice people. <laughs> I'm Owen McNamee. I'm a rider from the mountain road in Kilkeel, County Down. Carringford Lock. Salty rushes and bents. Carringford's the hag's mouth in Old Norse. These are phantom landscapes. 
In the north of the county, there was the salt glint of Strangford, sweet clock and Killalay, standing plain on the rising ground. But this is my ground, Kilkeel and Morn, sand and granite, mountain and sea. At night, there's a call of seabirds from the Mill Bay mudflats, eerie pipings carried across the shifting channels and dark tide races. It's a border county, but the only place where the border shifts, the demarcation line disputed between governments. They sent a gunboat to patrol, its grey outline just visible offshore in the long nights of sorrow and reprisal. Change comes from the sea. The navy's gone now, adrift beyond the bar with the memory fleets of Viking and Norman. In 1940, war laid seven miles of runway into Cranfield Sand, Yank pilots smoking lucky stripes on the sandy bray, Betty Grable in the Vogue cinema and they're all bound for D-Day beaches, tens of thousands of souls borne aloft, and all that's left of them is a beached aero engine at the edge of the sea and the cold dreams of an airman, the light of distant stars in his eyes, far constellations. There are no longer ladies and crinolines and pursy French gents and straw boaters and the promenades and leaders of Newcastle and Estrella and the Point. But if you listen, you can hear the brush of crinolines and wishful you'd be to be back with the dark morn switched down to the sea. There's a tidal bore between the Norman Keep at Greencastle and Blockhouse Island, a drowning current that'll carry you down, and there's a ghost corvette patrolling the boundaries of what's navigable and what will sink you into unfathomed depths. When the Carlingford Lock pilot died a few years before her own death, my mother went quiet. She wasn't a woman much given to sentiment, but she turned her face away. He smuggled the material for my wedding dress across the lock. It's a fragile image of intimacy undermined. All the things that a wedding dress represents reduced to contraband. But change comes from the sea. All loss is swept away. When we've got all we want, we're as quiet as can be where the mountains of Morn sweep down to the sea. Before leaving County Down, we returned to Newry, where 40 or 50 young people aged between 15 and 25 have gathered in what appears to be an ordinary townhouse. The school day has ended. It's getting dark. It's cold. Some are heading into the building to play music. Some are going to watch TV and hang out. Others might learn a skill, how to write, cook, mix or record music. Hello. Lovely to be here. Fantastic. It sounds like a lively spot. It is oh, a very lively spot, isn't it, David? <laughs> yeah, we're quite excited about you guys coming around. Ah, fantastic. Uh, my name is David. I'm the, the chairman of the Magnet Young Adult Centre. I've been the chairman since, uh, you know, functionally since last February. Young people have been coming to the Magnet Youth Adult Centre for 30 years since it first opened its doors in 1993. The Magnet is a home from home for these young people, a mostly self-managed space, open, safe, welcoming to all. You know, increasingly in this world, you know, there's very few places you can really go that don't, you know, ask for money. You know, the Magnet and the library and, like, the small handful of public parks around Neary are one of the few places where you can, like, 
go without you know having to like spend some so money on something we have the cooking group downstairs just give you an experience of the kitchen down the stairs and then the music in the music media i think there's is there music going on over there Uh, it's an inspired and inspiring place expressive and sometimes brilliant artwork painted on the walls sofas and a pool table here and there a stage a big kitchen there's a warmth of welcome here my first day was absolutely horrendous. <laughs> I, I, the brutal truth. No, but came in here, uh, was watching my friends play music. I was bored because I wasn't really doing anything. I was just watching them. Went into the car when I, after they closed, and goes to my mum. That was horrendous. That was absolutely awful. And then she told me, go back tomorrow, and I did. I haven't haven't missed a day since. I've been here consecutively every single day. Love it. And I'm finding it hard to believe anything you say. Just after school one day, just someone brought me down here. And then ever since that, I just, it's gone. And then I think it's just really helped me, like, confidence-wise as well. Getting a sense of purpose in life, in a sense. Mm-mm-mm. Egg fried rice, I do believe, with vegetables. <laughs> and some chili. Yeah, the mix. Good chili. bit, a good bit of chili, but it's not, but it's not overdone. It's not. This is my first time in the cooking group. And I think, good so far? Yeah, I think it's. I think I'm doing well. <laughs> I'm making cupcakes that put blue food coloring. Oh, they look great. Mm. See these great shiny green cupcakes. The cooking group is one of the main life skills you'll need. And coming in here and learn how to cook cheap, healthy, and tasty. Because who doesn't love food, let's be honest. And it's really fun, you know, being at this young age and helping others is really entertaining and life-changing, to be honest. My friend, Nayla, she started coming here when I was grounded and she's like, oh, it's so, like, it's better than being outside all day, like, being, like, out in the cold and all. So I'm like, right, then I, then I started coming here and, like, I don't like being outside. I like being, like, inside a place, like, socialising with people and all. There's a lot of new people that I met and I'm glad. It's a good spot and a good spot for you. Yeah. So a home for home. Yeah, this is the one. Oh, 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 Just spotted the most wonderful image of St. Patrick in the window of the grotto, Uri's religious shop, religious gifts and Irish souvenirs. And it's St. Patrick asleep, looking very comfortable indeed, reclining on his right arm uh, with the pillow under his head and what looks like a kind of golden halo behind him. But it's one of the most serene images of Patrick I've ever seen and it's the first time I've seen a sleeping St. Patrick and it is rather wonderful.
It's said that Brendan Behan coined or claimed the marvellous phrase, up, down. I can only echo the sentiment. I took a photo on my phone just outside the gates of Danpatrick Jail, wanting to capture a plain image of a bishop's mitre carved in stone, a symbol of the St. Patrick's Way Trail. We were very close to the place where United Irishmen leader Thomas Russell, the man from God knows where, was hanged in 1803. Again and again a small fudge of light hovered at the edge of the frame, and there it is in the photos, a spot of time, a glimpse, perhaps, of the spirit of down, bright as the stars, the rare conjunction of Venus and Jupiter, which guided us on our way.